0: Hey guys, it's Josh Collier, Artistic Director of Barna Opera, and I'm so excited to welcome you to the fourth episode, uh, full episode of So, You Want to Run an Opera Company. Uh, You've gotten pretty far into this by now. Uh, I'm really excited that you're continuing on and you're really digging in and, uh, you know, you're continuing to email me and send me questions and know have conversations via Facebook Messenger and I'm I'm really thrilled that uh, that there's so many conversations that are starting so kudos to you for continuing on with this um in our previous three episodes we talked about the idea behind your opera company we talked about the location for your opera company and doing some of that uh, those thoughts And then we did the market research. So deciding where was the best area within your region um, to be able to have this opera company. So after we've figured all of those things out, your opera company is really starting to take shape um, conceptually. So now let's talk about how to actualize your idea. So This episode, we're going to talk about the organizational details and the organizational ideas that you're going to need to decide for yourself how best to suit your opera company. When you think about the term organization as it relates to an opera company, what do you think about? Well, probably you think about the board, you think about marketing, you think about those things, but I would challenge you to think more about the really close, tight-knit team that you put together. I say team because I don't like acting unilaterally. I don't like it when my ideas are the only ideas in the room. I mean, of course, I'd like to have ultimate say, but I like to be able to talk ideas around and bounce them off people and see what they think um and so i think that having someone and some ones that you trust implicitly is going to be the way forward for barn opera i could not ask for a better team i could not ask for a better group of people who are more in tune with what I'm looking to do and that I trust more Nicholas Tachi is a baritone, a brilliant baritone that sang with me in our first production of Man of a Butterfly, it was a small role and then subsequently he sang other roles and Then he assisted me in directing a show. And then he directed one himself. And so he's really come up with Barna Opera. Um, He is my associate director. What that means is that, and I joke that, you know, I'm not looking to fall off a cliff anytime soon. But should that happen, the opera would be fine. Because Nick... As my associate director knows everything about the opera. He knows how to run it, he knows what my aesthetic is, he knows how it works. He really is next, he's one little step below me. Of course I get to have, you know, I get final say in uh, in all the directorial decisions, meaning I get to approve of his directorial decisions um but i don't have to micromanage because i know that he's right there having someone like nick as a sounding board and as a help in this takes so much of the stress away because not, on, not only am I doing this now with another person, there's another set of ideas, another set of eyes. You know, we talk, I talked about in a previous episode that I love being wrong. This is an opportunity where Nick can say, hey, I don't think that's a great idea. Okay, if Nick doesn't think it's a great idea, it goes back to the drawing board. That doesn't mean that it doesn't eventually end up being what it was because that's the decision i made but it's another check it's another opportunity to evaluate no i'm not saying that when nick says no i don't think it's a good idea that i don't take it absolutely seriously and there's been lots of of situations where i've said yeah you're exactly right that was not the right decision i'm so glad we went with your idea you know it's a necessary relationship. Having someone that you can have such a great working relationship with is wonderful. The fact that Nick happens to be one of my best friends is even better. We work well together, but we understand that professional, our professional relationship and our personal relationship is totally separate where we can argue professionally and be totally fine. Well, we, we don't really. but you know, we could because we respect each other that much. Before even talking about the board, before talking about that, talk about let's talk about developing your team with For Barn Opera nick being an absolutely integral part this also benefits everyone right it benefits him because well he can play the bad guy too absolutely should something require that it gives him a little bit of cover because i'm gonna take the heat you know as the artistic director it is ultimately my decision even in the shows that he's directing it's not that I stand totally back it's that you know I have complete oversight but I don't have to micromanage and this is a part of trust trust right your team you need to trust and they need to trust you and if you have a unifying direction so an An idea that is agreed upon by everyone, and we understand what the goal is, both the macro goal and the micro goal, it's going to work. And these relationships, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be, you know, some loggerheads, right? It's just going to be a much more conducive relationship to creation. So Nick is my associate director. I have a technical director named Russ McColeman, who is absolutely incredible. He is basically the, if you need something built, if you need something fixed, if you need something designed, he'll do it. Um, and he loves doing it. And he is that part of of barn opera that you know the singers get to see him a little bit but not a ton right he's in the background he's running the lights he's running all the stuff he's building the sets um and designing the sets but yet he's no less integral than i am or the nick is so the three of us really are manning the operation At least from a a directorial perspective and the scenic perspective. Now, assembling your team does not just involve stage directors. Obviously, for an opera company, you have to have a musical director. Or uh, a conductor or something, you know, someone to control the musical elements. And that is a phenomenal thing to find, to seek out. Because when you do, you're making a decision that could last a good long while. You know, so you need to make sure that your company's face, so the artistic director, the music director, in our case, the associate director, everyone has... The company's best interest at heart, right? We found in my good friend Kalen Marcel Manson, a phenomenal music director. He is young. He is a conductor that is that has accolades internationally. He is a great friend, a great colleague, a great person to talk to. He happens to be a a phenomenal conductor of color. He is as progressive as I am. He exemplifies all of the things that I was talking about before in previous episodes he has all of these qualities that I, myself, I don't know, at the risk of being immodest, feel like I am supporting. So his coming on board has a, a another dimension of importance, right? He is able to be our music director, which means that He is on the same plane as I am. I have oversight. I have, you know, umbrella control. He has much more specific control concerning the music. That doesn't mean that I can't say something or make a recommendation musically. And that doesn't mean he can't make a recommendation theatrically. This is why it's a team. Right. Everyone has job descriptions that they have to fulfill, but it doesn't mean that it, they're exclusively those jobs. So there are other people that are involved a little more peripherally. But what I wanted to express to you is and how I talk about them is the fact that you have an opportunity here to build an empire but it starts with your team your closest 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 people not your closest friends but your closest collaborators you want to make sure that everyone has exactly the same goal everyone is in it for the right reason and make sure that everyone is understands that The vision of the opera company does not rely on one person, but is an ethos. You want to make sure that when you're talking about your organization and how you view um, artists, which we'll talk about later, but how you view any sort of um, connection and collaboration with any other person, that you make sure that, that they are not going to think, oh, you know these artists or these painters or whatever you know are like the help or something you know um there are a lot of people that look down on technical crew there are a lot of people that look down on wardrobe there's a lot that it's it's really disappointing uh to see and in in my travels I've experienced quite a bit of elitism um you know from singers and, and I think that as a singer, if you're trying to start an opera company, you need to understand those inherent biases and recognize them when they come up so that you can put a big stop to that immediately. So, I've talked about myself as the artistic director and I mean throughout the past few episodes you've figured out what kind of my job is and the way that I see it as oversight. It is ultimate final say. That doesn't mean that I don't delegate. That doesn't mean that anything like that. It just means that I have final say and so every decision that's made i have to calculate i have to say this is a good decision even if i didn't come up with it and most of the time that's the case but making sure that you are the quality control you are the check on everything that goes out of your company because you're the face you're the one that is going to have all the heat if something bad comes out, if there's some issue, if something happens. I, I mean, you know, we look at we look at the Metropolitan Opera right now, and holy cow, we see exactly what happens with that, right? With the general manager. Um, but we actually haven't talked about my cohort. Um the executive director of barn opera who is um who's edna sutton and basically what her job is and what she's been doing is the creation of the contracts she signs the contracts she issues the payments um anytime i need to purchase something or i need to Um, I need to pay someone, I basically send her the invoice and she deals with it along with the treasure of our board, which is why I segue with this point. Because at the moment, Barn Opera is a project under the Compass Music and Arts Foundation, which is a non-profit organization that is, currently exists. Like I said in the first episode, or first couple episodes, we, we were talking about Barn Opera and, um, and our first production, which was Madame Butterfly. This production happened as a direct result of the incubation of the Compass Music and Arts Foundation. We were able to fundraise immediately as a nonprofit because of their existing 501c3. Because we adhered to the mission statement for the organization, and we were able to do that. And so, Barn Opera was just a was a project, a, a potential project at the at the start. And what that meant was that we Barn Opera inherited the board of the Compass Music and Arts Foundation which was wonderful we had great people really wonderfully supportive people on the board and it was a great thing but the issue now and not that it's an issue because they're they're still wonderful people but if I were to create a board what I can tell you is the, the role positions that have been lacking in our board are a lawyer, some sort of business, you know, ex-CEO or something. You know, the board is not just a coffee clutch. They're not supposed to be yes men. Their job is to fundraise and to ensure the success of the company. That's their job, right? That's the only reason why they are involved at all. Um, because they believe so much in the company that they're willing to do all of this work. So, when I'm looking, and, and you know, this is why I wanted to have this as a main topic for you because i think that it's something that you really should seek out because i can tell you legal fees are a bitch they are they will deplete your funds faster than anything you know we're in construction right now and the funds are being depleted but not nearly at the rate of what it was to purchase the property that we're renovating right so having people on the board obviously that have money is helpful right because then they can they can personally support some of the functions of the opera company but you also don't want to have a board that's personally funding the opera Right, because there's a lot of times when people that are incredibly generous and they will give large sums of money and you think, wow, I'm in the clear, right? And then it turns out that it's a quid pro quo. Um, they want some control. I'll give you an example. When we were in Boston for Opera Britannica. I... I I think it's all downhill from there because the first time our first show out, which was um, The Rape of Lucretia, was... uh, happened to be the same weekend that Andres Nilsson's first concert with BSO was and Yo-Yo Ma was playing. So, in the Boston Globe for that day, or for that weekend, we were listed with those three events uh, as the top things to do and see in the town. Um, And that was totally miraculous that that happened. There was, you know, we all know about Boston Lyric Opera, there was another opera company called Opera Boston that um, that was in existence when I was in in grad school, uh, and then it it wasn't in existence, and there was you know some rumor and what have you, but ultimately what what I found out was that there was a donor who was basically bankrolling the opera company it was about i think um i think they had something like two-thirds stake in the opera and there was an artistic argument um and weeks before the show started they pulled all their money that closed opera boston So what does that have to do with me or with opera Britannica? Well, at that performance of The Rape of Lucretia, um, that same donor showed up. And after the production, they came up to me and introduced themselves. And I said, oh, wonderful. Great to meet you, all these things. Um, and they just kind of looked at me as if the, do you know who I am? Uh, And and I didn't bite. And I said, you know, have a wonderful night. I so hope to see you again in the future, knowing full well who I was talking to. And then I just turned around and I left him there. And um, the next show came and he was there. And then the next show came and he was there. And I think it was the third or fourth production that he came to. M- mind you, he had just bought a ticket, right? So that's the extent of the financial, our financial uh, relationship. And he came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I am this person and I... I um, did X, Y, and Z and I support X, Y, and Z and all these things and I would love to be involved in your company and I don't know I, I know that this was the right decision <laughs> uh, ultimately um, but I basically said to him Thank you so much for the offer, but unfortunately, you know, your money is too expensive, and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm shortening this because it was very, you know, praising, thank you for supporting the opera, thank you for, like, the opera in general, thank you for doing all the things that you do, blah, 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 but... I can't accept your offer because I am. A, I would rather not succeed because I was making bad decisions or the market couldn't bear it, rather than majorly succeed financially and then have you disagree with me and then pull the plug and kill the opera company. Um, needless to say, he was not thrilled with that answer Uh, and he walked away and I never saw him again but this is the thing that you have to understand when you're starting an opera company there are going to be people that do have money they do have money real serious money but you have to value or evaluate for yourself how much that money is worth right? If this guy were to say, I want to, I love your vision. I want to support your vision any way that I can. I don't need control. I don't need anything. I just want to make it so that your vision can continue on. Well, I would have been there in a hot second, right? That's the Cinderella story. You find a benefactor to be able to, to underwrite your shows. But I didn't do that. I didn't because I knew what that threat to my integrity would be. I would know that any decision that I made would be subject to financial repercussions. I knew that it could get to the point where if I wanted to hire a singer and he didn't like that singer, that I wasn't able to hire the singer. So for me, the money felt like it was going to hamstring my artistic output, right? So when you're developing your board, these are the things you have to think about. These are the conversations that you need to have with every one of your board members, not just the ones that are fulfilling a purpose, right? Like the lawyer um, or any publicist or grant writer or whatever. You know, this is every person on your board needs to have an understanding of what you're trying to do. Now, this will be an easy conversation. (laughs) Why? Because you already developed this. Right, you have a solid idea of what you want your opera company to say and what you want to do with your company. So, having that clarity of thought is going to be very easy and very persuasive to go to potential board members and say, Hey, this is what I'm looking to do. Right, it's no longer a I've got a living room and you've got a piano like let's let's put this together and let's throw something down it this is a coherent thought with a track a plan for how you're going to succeed not just oh I hope this works but here is the research right when you're approaching potential board members the idea the location, and the market research that you've already done is going to be incredibly valuable, right? Because your conversation can be, here is my idea, these are my aesthetics, this is my, this is my ethos, this is what I want to do for the art form, this is how I feel about the singers, this is how I feel about the opera in general, the operatic medium, you know, western classical music, tradition in general, this is the location that I've chosen, or this is a possible location that I've chosen. This is a, you know, this is the reason why I chose this location because uh, I've done this much market research and I have all of these, these data points to show why it's a good idea. If you approach a board member, a potential board member with all of these facts, with all of this Research with all of this work already done They're gonna look at you in a very different way They're gonna look at you as if you actually know what you're doing Because let's be real a lot of your board members are are going to be Experienced in their field, right? That's what you want You don't want your friends as board members. You want people that are going to help the company those two might interchange. They might be there might be some crossover, but ultimately, it's not about your personal relationship with them. It's about ensuring that the company succeeds in the future. definitely get into the the legal components next time, but I keep going back to this having these roles filled, right? Um, Every board needs to have a president, a vice president, a secretary, and a treasurer. But according to your organizational documents, which we're about to talk to so really Buckle in your seatbelts. You know these four positions are very important, and who, and and the roles that they play within the organization are very very important. So let's start with the treasurer. The treasurer of your board is going to be the one who deals with all of the money. They're the one, at least in my position. They're the ones that issue the checks. They're the ones that monitor the income, that monitor the revenue, that bookmark the, you know, if somebody gives a $100 donation for um, the first show of the year, then that $100 is earmarked. It is reserved for the first $100 of the year. And so that goes into a separate pile rather than a general fund. Um, Your treasurer does that at your board meetings your treasurer presents a financial report that financial report should document every penny that has come into the organization and every penny that has left the organization leaving a remainder of what the bank account has in it and what the the existing expenditures are That makes things so much easier, right? Because then you know exactly what you have. You've got earmarked everything. You know what you have to spend. And you know what you have already spent. And this is obviously not just good. This is legal requirement um, that you have this. The secretary is making sure that In all of the meetings of the board that all of the major points are written down so that they can be disseminated to the rest of the board after the fact these are called the minutes Um, and the minutes are really important because anyone can look at the minutes of a nonprofit organization and say here is what happened in this board meeting. So any sort of board resolution, anything that was brought up, anything that happens in the meeting goes into the minutes, so that not only does the board have an opportunity to remember what happened during the meeting, but also anyone who's interested in in finding out what happened during the meeting uh, can the vice president and the president of the board are really important um, because both of those positions, the president of the board or the chair of the board or whatever nomenclature you want to use, runs the meetings, sets the agenda, makes it so that the operations of the board continue. They are in charge of Ensuring that deadlines are met. They're in charge of facilitating the fundraising efforts. They're in charge of making sure that the company functions. Both of them. The vice, obviously the vice president of the board, vice chair of the board, um, acts as president when the president is incapable. And has the similar legislative functions as the president within the board construct um these are just four positions right that doesn't mean you only have four people on the board you can have as many people as you want and that is dictated by your you know documents of incorporation and your bylaws which like i said hold on here we go Okay, so your bylaws and your Articles of Incorporation are really important, right? They tell the Secretary of State, they tell everyone who wants to donate, they tell your board, they tell everyone who has any interest in the operation of your company how how your company operates. These are the governing documents, right? So... Your bylaws are giving a an outline of what your expectations are and what your demands are from your organization. Right, just little, little things, logistic things, like the board will have n- no fewer than seven board members and no more than 11, or whatever. Um, the board will meet... Um, monthly and will provide X, y and z you know reports, uh, financial reports and um, production reports. Uh, there will be a an employed artistic director. I just said that I wish I wish that was the case for me but but you know these are the things that it's the governing documents. this is our you know and within the governing documents within the bylaws is the mission statement. I'm not going to talk about the mission statement right now because I am dedicating an entire conversation about mission statement. Uh, so just suffice it to say that in these documents you just need to ha- you're just going to have all of the information that someone might need in order to be knowledgeable about your company this can articulate the roles and the responsibilities of your board um, and also you know the location of your um, of your operations, all these things and I think that it you know it's very important because in order to incorporate in order to become a true entity, you have to decide, what your entity is going to be what classification and category it's going to be and by coming up with the bylaws which there are a million um, examples out there to read you can feel free to go and do some research and steal you know steal language it's all a lot of boiler boilerplate stuff but you're going to find that there are some tweaks right, that you want to make. Um, so you'll be able to, to to do that no problem. But the big concern and the big conversation that has to happen between you and the board is whether or not you're going to become a nonprofit organization or whether or not you'll become a for-profit organization or whether or not you will use an umbrella organization to provide the ability to fundraise as a nonprofit. All right so let's start with that one that is probably the easiest one honestly um that is what we did in boston um that is with opera britannica that is currently what is happening although in a different way for barn opera um while we are uh currently looking for uh, and in the process of acquiring our own 501c3, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, but let me just explain the concept. An umbrella organization that provides tax benefit. This is something like Fractured Atlas is the name of one of these organizations. Fractured Atlas provides an ability to fundraise as a nonprofit. So you can solicit donations through them and they will disperse them to your project to your company um, pretty quickly. Uh, So what that means is that you can find donors that are looking for a tax benefit and most of the time people are willing to donate a little bit more if there's some sort of tax benefit for them. If there's not Then, what it means is it's just like them spending money at, you know, I don't know, on Amazon, right? This is a different thing. It's a charitable donation. And so, you know, giving to Fractured Atlas means that Fractured Atlas deals with providing the donor proof that they donated to a charitable organization, one. And two, gives you the flexibility to solicit donations through a lot of different ways, right? Um, Now, that all sounds like super good and that way you don't have to go through the financial implications of, of setting up your own 501c3. You don't have to go through the legal process. You don't have to do, okay, great, all right. But what it does is it makes you a beholden to a company. Right, you are abiding by Fractionalis' rules, you are using their branding, you're paying a monthly fee and a transactional fee for all of your donations. It's like GoFundMe for artists, right? I think um when we did it in Boston, I think it was seven percent. Which if you think about who seven percent that's a lot. Well, okay, but think about this you're getting 93 percent of whatever donation comes in every dollar you get 93 cents of that's that's substantial right and the odds are that as you're starting out if you choose this route it'll pay for itself because you'll be able to solicit more donations you'll be able to say i am a, a sponsored project under fractured atlas and I am interest, you know, and I am able to, um, to to fundraise as a nonprofit. So any donation that you give will be tax deductible under the law. This is really good, especially for larger donations. Um, you know, people that have that kind of charitable expendable income are much more willing to to give. To companies that they can ensure are going to be accountable and are going to provide them tax relief for their donations. Um, I can say from personal experience, I actually really liked Fractured Atlas. Uh, I thought that their customer service was great. I thought that they had a really wonderful um, marketing campaign. What I didn't like about it was that when you are soliciting donations, say if I was soliciting for Opera Britannica, I had someone say, oh yeah, here's, you know, I want to donate a $1,000. And I just like, I don't know, you know, peed myself, right? Because it was so exciting to to have someone believe in me and my theatrical idea that they were going to give a $1,000. And then... They wrote a check and mailed it to me to Opera Britannica. I wasn't able to cash it because it was not to Fractured Atlas. Those donations have to be written, given, either online or via check, to Fractured Atlas with Opera Britannica or Barn Opera or whatever your opera company is. In the memo line, with the project number. So, while that doesn't seem like a really big deal, as long as you make you know you make it known and you actively talk about it and you maybe have a form, uh, a donation form that you uh, that you give to potential donors, um, it is a little more complicated. Because there is a, a generational divide between the electronic communications. And so a lot of times the the people that are, are capable of giving larger donations are the ones that, that don't know quite how to use the internet and are, are wary of sending electronic payments. So they'll write a check and they won't even tell you about it, you know, um... I... <sighs> there was one check that was sent to me. It was $15,000. And it was sent to us. And I I gasped when I opened it. Right, I knew that this woman had come to one of the shows. Loved it. And sent me this check. I tried... I don't know three weeks to get in touch with her about the check and I finally did and she was oh effusive oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'll I'll rewrite the check I'll rewrite the check I mailed it back to her nothing came I called I called (laughs) like months months of calling and she never wrote the check, right? So, this is where my hesitancy comes in, is that, you know, when you have money in hand, you want to be able to use that money as opposed to anything that is um, requiring any sort of specific way of funding. And you just have to be really, really mindful of that and consider that when you're choosing a funding source like Fractured Atlas or the many other umbrella organizations that will provide you tax benefit. Okay, so for this next part, I wanna just preface this. I am not a lawyer, nor am I a CPA. All I can talk about is my experiences, and my decisions that I have made for my company, and the decisions that I'm currently making uh, for my company, and what I can advise. I highly recommend if you decide to go this route, to talk to a lawyer, talk to a CPA, get their personal opinions, personal and professional opinions. Uh, and don't just rely on mine, but this is my understanding and this is why I would recommend going for your own nonprofit status after you've determined that it's a possible success. The reason why you don't want to just jump right into this is because it is a ton of paperwork. It's it's a fair amount of money, somewhere around it's a couple thousand dollars all in. Uh, likely, with legal fees and filing fees and all of the, the IRS stuff that, that's required. Um, <clears throat> so you may not want to just do this before making sure that it's a viable um, way forward. But assuming that you've got all of this information, you've got your idea, you've got your board of directors set up, you've got your um, your bylaws set up, you've got all of these organizational documents set up. You've got a lawyer that's looking at this. Now you have to decide what entity you want to be. So the two major types obviously are non-profit and for-profit. Most arts organizations are non-profits. Why? Obviously because of the tax benefit for the philanthropic donations that come in. When you're applying for nonprofit status, it's a two step process. Um, when people think, well, a corporation is or a company is an LLC, LLC, okay, there are two organizations that you're dealing with. You're dealing with the state, so the Secretary of State within your state that you're operating, and the federal government, the IRS the government can determine federal nonprofit 501c3 status and the state will determine what your corporation is so you could incorporate as an llc no problem within the state but in trying to apply for your nonprofit status with the 1023 from the IRS, the 1023 form from the IRS, you might have some issues because that classification, the LLC, is specifically designated, well, it's mostly designated for for profit companies. So it's easier to simply incorporate, if you're going to go the nonprofit route, incorporate as a C Corp, just a normal corporation, and then as the federal government can apply the nonprofit status to that corporation that you've already incorporated within your state's secretary of state. Whew. Okay. Does that make sense? Basically Barn Opera in order for Barn Opera to be its own separate entity, Barn Opera has to register with the secretary of state as an entity. We register with the secretary of state. Once we are a an entity, we then use that entity and apply to the federal government for nonprofit status. So it's a two-step process to be able to to do this. The IRS says that it takes up to twenty-seven months for certification. It's retroactive, but you know you're not going to be able to get a lot of people, or you may not be able to get a lot of people to donate um, for that tax benefit retroactively. Um, if you say, hey, no, it's coming, it's coming. And uh, and then you you don't get your certification. So, you know, it, it's it's a little bit of a gamble. It's a, li- it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of work to, to do this. But if you're committed, then this is the right way to go. You will be dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's. You'll be making sure that every donation that comes in is tax deductible under the law? You'll be and and you'll have a a proper classification for your company, um, a legal definition as nonprofit, as opposed to you are a company that is existing under an existing nonprofit, so benefiting from that umbrella organization, as opposed to you yourself or your company's benefiting from its own work right so when you are making this decision there's a couple things you have to think about you need to think about the legal implications how much money is it going to cost do you have someone to do this for you do you have a reputable organization that you trust find out from Uh, You know, your mentors from other companies, if you've worked for other companies, um, find out just what the process is going to be like for you in your state. Filing for, you know, incorporating in a state shouldn't be that difficult and it should be just similar, but I don't want to say... Exactly what the process is for that, because because I don't know that it's a truism um, for every state in the country, so I want to leave that off, and I want to just make sure that you go to your Secretary of State's website and find what the process is for incorporation, and that'll be the first step um, toward that. And should you decide to go the nonprofit route, I highly recommend finding a CPA to um to do the 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 1023 form um if you plan to only have i think it's like $25,000 income annually for the first 3 years you can file the 1023 ez form which is a much um very abridged form it's like a postcard um, that you can send in but the problem is, is that say you do file that form and it turns out that you make $50,000 every year, 50 and then a hundred and whatever, um, the IRS will come knock knocking. <laughs> so, uh, and you'll be fined for it. Um, this is information directly from our CPA. Um, because I was thinking, well, what if we didn't know? Right. And, uh, The IRS doesn't care whether you didn't know or not, it's all about what you do, right? So, um, so, you know, there are, there are pros and cons to everything in this. And and that's why this organizational stuff is so important to figure out what's the best way to do it. You know, what's the best way to make this work for you, for your board, for your donors, for your artists? Um... We could talk about a for-profit company, but I honestly just don't think that it's the right way to go. Uh, You will be taxed for that uh, as a for-profit company. Your donors will have no tax benefit for contributing to your company. Um, You will, you know, you could make more capital you could be eligible for more you know for more loans you could do that stuff but it it doesn't make sense as a small arts organization to go that route uh, at least in my in my perspective like I said at the very beginning you know I am not a CPA I am not a lawyer I have only done I mean I've done a really good amount of research uh, and I've decided that this is the right way for me and the reason why not going in the for-profit direction ultimately came down to the donations. right? If you were a non-profit you could benefit from, um, from a lot of grant giving organizations. You could benefit from the tax deductions from from your donors your board would have the opportunity to you know um that would be a, a point to fundraise on uh, there's a lot of, of, of stuff with that and you miss out on all of that as a for-profit uh company but like i said if that's the way you want to go i definitely would definitely recommend go to your lawyer which hopefully is on your board or go to a lawyer that you trust And go to a CPA and talk about these possibilities. An hour of your time, you know, whatever, a couple hundred dollars for a consultation with these people is going to be so enlightening. So highly, 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 highly recommend it. So I've really gone through a lot of the organizational details um, that I've made, a lot of the points that I've kind of contended with, all of the, the issues around the organization itself, so from the inside of the company uh, outward, and all of the things that I've talked about in this episode are truly just examples just ideas you could go in a thousand different directions from this and still not cover everything what you need to do is you need to just make sure that all of your bases are covered and you can always change things don't feel like anything that you do is set in stone because it's not there you're going to make mistakes right just accept that you're gonna make mistakes So the way that you recover from those mistakes, however, is going to be indicative of how you're going to run your board. And the more of the mistakes that you can mitigate prior to making the mistakes, the better you're gonna be and the better your board is gonna be. Now, lastly, I just wanna talk about the board requirement. For many organizations, um, the board is the governing body equal to that of the artistic director, administrator, general manager, whatever you want to say. Um, They provide fundraising, but also a check on the artistic director, right? Um, If the artistic director decides to go absolutely crazy, let's say, Uh, I decided that I wanted to have a show with full frontal nudity and totally, um, you know, real sex act on stage. Um, My board would say, "Uh, hell no, there's no way you can do that. Because we could open ourselves up to legal issues. There's a lot of stuff that we can do. We could lose our nonprofit status. There's, you know, and the board could overrule me. The board could also vote to get rid of me if I were to do this over and over again. If you think of it like, you know, like politics. Right. It, which it, it is. You know, that check and balance is a really good thing if it's used in a way that is beneficial to everyone. A sounding board is a good thing. You know, say, having one person say, we have to, you know, we have to spend all this money. And having the other person say, but how are we going to afford it is a good thing. Right. That is a good thing. In the same way that a board and an artistic director should work symbiotically where the board provides the money and the uh, evangelism for the opera company and the artistic director provides the cultural experience that enriches other people's lives right but your board does have power so i i just want to like that out and make sure that when you're assembling your board you do need to make sure that everyone understands what you're trying to do the importance of your aesthetic the importance of your designs of your programming and the autonomy of your artistic decisions need to be impressed upon the board right within reason, you know, um, if I wanted someone to say the word, yeah, I don't know, the F word, on, in a show, I would want to make sure that the board could not censure me for that, you know, if that's something that would help the, the show for whatever reason, um, But if I wanted to, like I said, if I wanted to have this, you know, full frontal nudity, the whole thing, that's a bridge too far. So finding where that balance point is, is is really helpful and is a conversation. And that's why it all goes back to trust, right? But for a board, trust isn't the only thing that's important. A board has to be invested, whether they're invested with you know a lawyer with pro bono hours or a board member that contributes financially to show their investment in the company the board needs to show that they've got some skin in the game in order to show other potential donors that they've got some skin in the game so in your bylaws you really should consider having A section about board requirements with the board having to provide some sort of financial compensation, or not compensation, but investment in the organization. What like I said, whether that's in kind or through a check. You just want to make sure that everyone is is as in the thicket with you as you are we started this episode with talking about your team and for barn opera it's the artistic director the associate director the technical director the Social media and marketing director, as well as the executive director and the board of directors, right? These are all things that you need to think about. These are the people on my team that I think are absolutely invaluable. Um, but you might have a different opinion. You might want to have an assistant. You might want to have somebody else. You might want to just be the only one. You might decide that you want to co-produce or co director or whatever you want to do because that works for you. And you might be able to figure out a, a, a power or a control agreement with your co-director whereby every other show you flip-flop in the um, you know priority line. And that could work. You know, there isn't only one way. There are millions of ways to make this work. and what But what it requires is it requires some thoughtfulness, some compassion, some agreement, and a whole lot of diplomacy. And figuring out how to express your needs and your desires for your company with other people and get them on board with you. So your homework for this episode is to think about these things. Make notes, make a journal, think about what are the roles that you think you would need to have using my information as a template. Think about potential board members who's supported you in the past. Who has given to your benefit recital, you know, who would be willing to do that? Artistic advisors maybe for your company? Nothing is set in stone, but having something to go off of is a really, really good idea. So you should have a notebook that is starting to get filled up with these are the people that I know are interested in this and want to be around this. So they could become your board. They could become your administrative panel. You know, having people that fulfill the needs of your company, though, not just friends, not just family, make sure and doubly sure that they're in it for the right reason, just like you are. So I look forward to seeing you all for the next episode. Um, This one I know is kind of dense. So take some time. Digest. Think about it. Send me messages. Send me emails. I want to know what your questions are. I want to know if this is second nature to you or if this is difficult or like, Josh, what the hell were you talking about in this? I understand it's incredibly, incredibly difficult and something that you weren't expecting when you decided that you wanted to throw a show together. But it's really important to have these organizational situations already determined by the time that you get to the point of thinking about programming any show. So as always. My phone number for texting is 802-772-5601. My email is collier at barnaopera.com. You can find me on Facebook. Um, And I just, I hope that this episode doesn't scare you off, but I hope that it gives you a realistic perspective of the things that you need to do and the steps that you need to take in order to get closer and closer and closer to the episode about artistic involvement. So until very soon, take a breath. We're going to work through this together and just keep fighting the good fight.